Welcome into the Frogs Insider Podcast. Jamie Plunkett here alongside Melissa Trebowasser. We are breaking down Trey Richardson. It's a record-setting weekend out in Fayetteville as the Horned Frogs advance to a Super Regional for the first time in six seasons. We're also going to have a little bit of hoops recruiting news, a little bit of football recruiting news as well. I was out at the DFW Showcase on Saturday, got to chat with some recruits and chatted with some basketball recruits as well over the weekend. So, Melissa, this is going to be a great episode. Um, as always, we are part of the Dave Campbell Texas Football Republic of Football Network. Very excited to be a part of such a wonderful brand like DCTF. Um, you can follow us and listen to the show. Obviously, if you're doing that, you already do that. But yeah. Leave us a rating and a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and we appreciate the continued support. You guys Absolutely. have been awesome over the last decade. And we really, uh, shockingly, I guess, still enjoy each other and still enjoy creating TC content. So how about that? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. And and it's really <laughs> fun when we've gotten to do so across an athletics year like this past year where uh, there have been a lot of surprising TCU teams, to say the least. Um, yes. I don't think, you know, the turnaround, obviously, that the volleyball program had and making it to the second round of the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes without saying that the football season was a delightfully pleasant surprise. Um, you know, men's basketball had a great run despite facing some injury um, adversity. Uh, rifle, swim, set program records. I mean, the, the list kind of goes on and on. But I think if you had asked us, kind of towards the end of spring football, if TCU baseball was going to continue the string of postseason successes for, for the frogs this year, I, I think there would have been a lot of doubt in that statement. Um, if you look at late March and into April, where this program was, as we've talked about multiple times, um, the fact of them making the postseason was in question. The fact of them going into um, what by some metrics was the hardest rated regional and just absolutely clobbering Arkansas, not once, but twice to advance to the super regional round. Uh, I don't think in most of our purple tinted glass world, we would have said, yeah, yeah, that's something that's going to happen. It just did not look like this team was really competing at a high level or on the same page. And who boy, have they turned it around? They really have. You know, I, I you mentioned that West Virginia series, that 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 sweep was definitely the low point. For this team, Kirk Sarlos has said as much. They were they were kind of at rock bottom at that point, and uh, I think you're right. Yeah, the conversations were around. You know, is this team going to miss the playoffs for the first time since 2018? Kind of what's going on? Uh, what? Why isn't the talent that we know is on this team bearing out on the field? Um, and I mean, y'all listen to this podcast. You know that I, I was I was asking some big questions and. Um, you know, fortunately for, for TCU baseball and fortunately for TCU fans, the guys that believed in this thing the most were the, the guys in that locker room. Yeah. Um, you know, they never quit. They never got overly down on themselves. They continued to show up and work hard every day. Uh, and we are seeing the fruit of that labor right now because they have been consistently, arguably, the best team in the country since May 1st. Yeah. And they've and- won 18 of their last 20 games. They're averaging 10 runs a game since May 1st. They just had a margin, uh, a 30 plus 31 run margin in this Fayetteville regional where they knocked out the number three overall seed uh, and handily, like it was hardly in question for more than an inning yeah. and a half or two. Um, uh, this, this has been an, one of the most impressive 
runs I've seen any TCU program make in my history of, of covering TCU sports or being a student, all of that. This is one of the most impressive runs I've ever seen from a TCU program. Yeah. I mean, even when you look at, you know, TCU baseball, you know, when they, when they made, uh, you know, the deep runs in the college world series, when they had that, you know, heartbreaker against coastal Carolina, but those teams weren't as dominant. Those teams were very much built to pitch and scrape out one run, two run victories. Mm -hmm. Um, And this team, like, like our friend, Charles Baggerly post, uh, you know, pointed out on Twitter, since a players only meeting has really turned things around. And, you know, you hear that kind of thrown around a lot, you hear it in the pros and and a lot of times it's kind of just a lip service thing, but like you said, you know, these guys in the locker room and the dugout really believed in each other. Um, They, they kind of trusted the process with the coaching staff and when it clicked, it clicked in a big way. And so, you know, you always talk about when to be playing your best ball at the right time. And TC was truly bearing that out in a way that I agree I've never seen a, a TCU athletics program get this hot at this point in the season and look as dominant as TCU baseball has looked for the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. I, I fully agree. So we're going to break down this regional a little bit. We're going to kind of go not fully game by game, but, but break down you know some of the key moments over the weekend. We're going to talk about the super regional against Indiana state, a little bit of a hosting nuance there that we're going to get into talk about some of the relief pitchers over the weekend luke savage and ben abelt most importantly i think among that bunch but uh, we we would be remiss if we didn't start this whole conversation with trey richardson yeah the faithville faithville region mvp uh it was the biggest no-brainer of a, a decision that uh, i think a committee has ever had to make um trey goes nine of 15 over the weekend with four home runs, two grand slams, uh, two doubles as well on top of that, 14 RBIs, and six runs scored. Uh, Not to mention the glove work was there as well. He made a diving stop on Sunday afternoon in the sixth inning to stifle an Arkansas potential rally, uh, ranged really deep in the hole at second, got up, got the ball out, and got the out at first base to shut that inning down. Um, this This is kind of the culmination of what we've seen from Trey Richardson all year. We haven't seen the power like this all year, but we have seen incredible back control, a willingness to hit it to the opposite field, um, a willingness to lay out and get dirty playing defense, incredible base running, elite speed. Uh, and it all came to a head for Trey this weekend in a way that I don't think any of us saw coming, but you know, he tied the NCAA record for most RBIs in a single playoff game on Sunday with 11, which also just happened to set the TCU single game RBI record. Um, This is why Trey Richardson transferred to TCU from Baylor. This is why he is on this team right now is because Kirk Sarlos identified him as a guy when he hit the portal that could really contribute. Um, And Trey is at TCU over a couple of other really good options because he wanted to win a big 12 championship. He wanted to get to Omaha uh, and and it looks like he is one of the key reasons for TCU's current run. Well, you know, when the opposing fan base is accusing you of juicing ahead of the weekend of the, the regional round, you're doing something right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, 
I think that, you know, what, what we saw in Trey Richardson when he signed was not a guy that I think a lot of people expected to hit the cover off the ball by any stretch um, or even to hit for a high average. He was going to be someone that was going to be consistent, was going to play great defense, had speed on the base pass and and could cause some problems. Right. Like, I, I don't think you looked at him as a table setter or, or the guy kind of driving everybody home, but he's he could be a consistent middle of the lineup bat. Um, and mm-hmm. all season long, I, I think he was that, you know, he he hit for average. He didn't hit for power. He came, it's, it's been well publicized. He came into the weekend with two home runs. Um, and what he did on, I mean, if Saturday or Sunday had been the only game he played, there would have been an argument for him to be the MVP of that regional still, right? Mm-hmm. Like if that oh, had been his been, only- I, I think he would have still been the clear- That would have won, yeah. Clear winner, yeah. But but for a veteran player, you know, and a guy who came from a program that hadn't done much winning in his time there, to step into the biggest spotlight against the best competition and have what I'm going to imagine is the best game of his life and certainly the best game of his collegiate life, uh, it says a lot about the mental makeup of Trey Richardson says a lot about um, the trust that his teammates and his coaches have in him. And it says a lot about just being ready for the moment. And and that's something that TC baseball has, has preached well back into the Jim Schlossnagel era is when, when your number is called, when your opportunity is there, be ready for it. And there's not a person in the world that was wearing purple that expected Trey Richardson to come up in that first spot and hit a grand slam. But I think they were pretty confident he was going to knock home a run or two. And then when he did it again in the second inning, you kind of do. This is just going to be one of those days for the Horn Frogs, and if you're gonna if you're gonna catch a little lightning in a bottle, June is a really really good time to do so for a college baseball team. Yes, it, it is, and and one of the keys to this whole weekend, which uh, I, I guess we can kind of segue into Friday night's game against Arizona, is that TCU noticed pretty quickly on that the ball was really traveling to right Ooh. field. Right. Yeah. They did a phenomenal <laughs> job all weekend long and all three of their wins of just being patient enough at the plate uh, and willing to see the ball deep into the plate uh, to hit it to the opposite field or for uh, the lefties on the team, a la Braylon Ta- Braden Taylor, just pull the ball as hard as they possibly could uh, yeah. into that alleyway because there was definitely uh, a little bit of help with wind uh, traveling out that way. I got out there on Sunday afternoon uh, and it was a nice little breezy day. Uh, two lightning delays when it was completely sunny outside. But other than that, um, you know, the ball was flying really, really well out to right and right center. Uh, and TCU was simply willing to take advantage of that fact. They were also helped, you know, especially against Arkansas, both games, uh, by some pitchers who seemed unwilling at times to throw to the inner third of the plate, um, leaving balls on the outside half of the plate, leaving the balls on the outside corner. Where, where, you know, as long as you're a little bit more patient, uh, you can pretty easily get something out into that side of the field. So uh, it was a good thing to see as far as TCU's discipline at the plate that, you know, Melissa, you talked about that a lot on the last episode was that TCU has been taking incredible at bats since the month of since May started. Uh, it's a continuation, really, of what we've seen in May, what we saw in the Big 12 tournament. Uh, we saw that again this weekend, which started on Friday night. With a 12 to 4 victory over Arizona, Braden Taylor was the star of this game. If you want to identify one person, um, he had a home run. He had six RBIs. He went four for five at the plate, made a couple defensive uh, plays at third base to kind of make your eyebrows go up as well. Uh, I, I did talk to one uh, MLB scout during this game. Um, I sent him a message. I said, You know, I know that um, you guys are eyeing Braden Taylor. Um, I don't know that he's going to get to you anymore. <laughs> and uh, the guy agreed. He's like, this, this is, uh, he said, all you have to do 
uh, to know who Braden Taylor is as a player is turn on this baseball game and you will have a complete picture of who Braden Taylor is as a hitter, as a fielder, as a leader, all of it. Uh, Braden Taylor was exactly who we've come to expect him to be on Friday night, and he is the one who kind of set the tone for that game, helped TCU get out to an eight-run lead uh, and hold on for the victory to move into the winner's bracket, which is always such a critical thing in, in a weekend like this is getting that first win on the first day. Well, it's absolutely huge. And the fact that that Perks Salus could throw a true freshman pitcher out there and Cole Klecker and and watch him go through a a lineup, you know, a lot of there was a lot of controversy over how tough of a regional this was. And a lot of people wanted to talk a lot of crap about Arizona. And, and I, hey, I was it. one of yeah, those. You people. were talking a lot of crap. And it, you, you know what? You were you were right, it turns out. But the 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 Wildcats came in averaging more than ten runs a game. They were red hot, uh, you know, during the Pac-12 tournament. Their their season average for runs per game, I think, was over eight or right around eight, somewhere in the high sevens. Um, they can hit the absolute crap out of the ball, and to throw a kid who you know a year ago was probably attending his graduation on this weekend out there on a Friday night in a a tough environment, you can guarantee that every Arkansas fan in that building was hoping TCU would lose to the Wildcats because they wanted no part of us for good reason. Um, And to watch him, you know, spread three runs across four innings, held the Wildcats to to, uh, four hits, uh, struck out five. You know, he didn't go super, super deep into this game, but he gave TCU just a really great start, allowed the Frogs, whose offense started pretty pretty hot, and, and they, you know, they... They came out and put four runs in the first, and he just kind of cruised through that that first third or so of that game uh, before he turned the ball over to Luke Savage, who we'll, we'll talk about in a second too. But, I mean, that is a huge sign for TCU, a huge positive sign for this weekend and going forward because they've really struggled to nail down a consistent Friday night starter, a consistent you know starting pitcher to kind of set the table for the weekend. And Cole Klecker, you know, as a true freshman, looks like he can certainly be that guy, and the moment was not too big for him. No, it wasn't. And, and you know, when we talk about these freshmen at this point in the season, too, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're almost not really even talking about freshmen yeah. anymore. We're talking about guys that are basically sophomores at this point, as far mm-hmm. as the, the amount of baseball that they've played, the maturity that they've exhibited throughout the year. Uh, and Cole Klecker is at the top of that list for the, the, you know, the quote unquote true freshman on the team. I mean, he's, he, he's thrown 80 innings of baseball this year <laughs> in season. He's got a 4.18 ERA. Uh, he doesn't strike out a ton of hitters, right? He's only struck out 60 over 79 innings, but his, his opponent's batting average is 215. Uh, he knows how to m- miss bats. He knows how to, uh, you know, you know, keep the ball out of the middle portion of the plate and allow his defense to help him out when he gets weak contact. Uh, he only threw 70 pitches in four innings mm-hmm. on Friday night. And I think part of that was thing, you know, the game was still pretty close at that point. Um, he had allowed a couple runners to get on, um, a couple runs to come across. Um, but when you've got a guy like Luke Savage in the bullpen, who's fully healthy at this point of the, uh, of the season, you don't leave it a chance, right? Yeah. Kirk did the, did what I think was the right thing at that moment, you know, especially considering the context of he's been talking about Klecker's usage and workload over the last couple of weeks. Now he's at 70 through four. He's been laboring a little bit. Let's go get Luke out here. Yeah. See how, see how much run we can get from Luke Savage. And he gives you four incredibly good innings <laughs> Unbelievable. Of, of relief pitching. He three hits, one run allowed, three strikeouts, uh, 55 pitches over those four innings. Actually ends up earning the win as well to move to five and three on the year. Luke Savage is kind of classic Luke Savage form, uh, which 
bodes really, really well for this thing moving forward. Yeah, he's, you know, and Savage coming back from injury, he's kind of been up and down. He just hadn't really found his groove. And it certainly looked like Friday night against a very, you know, powerful Arizona offense that, that he settled right into that groove. Uh, you got to shout out Cone Feaser too, who came in for that ninth inning, um, mm-hmm. two strikeouts against three batters, no hits. No walks, um, just kind of shut down. And, and at that point, you know, TC was had really cruised. They were they were up 12-5. But again, with an offense like that Arizona Wildcat, you don't want to give them a glimmer of hope because you know they can they can quickly turn a couple of walks into a couple of runs. And and you know, there's there's no sense extending that game at that point or or having to wear yourself out when you assume you're gonna have another difficult one tomorrow against the number three national seed. Um, although tomorrow never really came for TCU in that regard. It's, it's true. Uh, just a note too as well. Curtis Byrne hit a home run uh, in that game in the later innings of that game to help kind of blow that uh, lead out a little bit. Uh, he had three home runs on the weekend. I think we're talking about Curtis Byrne as a potential weekend MVP if it wasn't yeah. for Trey Richardson's weekend. Because sure. you know, and when we talked about this on the last episode, just how critical Curtis Byrne has been in that designated hitter role over the last month or so during this run, uh, and, and he proved again why he's such a valuable guy in the lineup, even if. You've got a guy in Carson Bowen who's kind of taken on the main load catching. Curtis Byrne has earned that right to be your designated hitter because of the way he's swinging the bat right now. Home run on Friday night to help extend that lead. And then, as you mentioned, weather played a factor on Saturday. So we did not get a TCU-Arkansas game on Saturday, which worked out really well for yours truly because that meant that the game was happening on Sunday afternoon and allowed me to get down there to Fayetteville of course there was one game that got played on Saturday night that was Arizona and Santa Clara Santa Clara the four seed the Broncos knocking off Arizona and not not really in any kind of close manner either I think they won that game what nine to three over Arizona and control the whole time so you saw those Arizona bats over the two games of the Fayetteville regional that they got to play kind of regress to what they were pre-Pac-12 tournament um uh, just didn't perform and then when you have pitching uh, that's, uh, you know, lacking at times like Arizona did this year, uh, that tends to get exposed in weekends like this, where you're playing lineups that are just top to bottom, really talented, even all the way down to the four seed, you know, the four seeds this year too, just on a side note, Melissa have been very impressive Mm -hmm. to me. You know, I, I mean, Santa Clara picking up a win over the weekend, you have Oral Roberts, as a four seed advancing out of the yeah. Stillwater regional to get to a super regional. Uh, Oklahoma Penn, State, what are you uh, doing? I mean, look, first of all, on a side note, a side note to my side note, Oklahoma State got screwed by their in, in their region. They yeah. they got screwed, right? You draw DBU as a two seed who is, you know, probably should be hosting over a team like Auburn who <laughs> went 0-2 mm-hmm. in their own mm-hmm. region. Um, Karma. You get a four seed and Oral Roberts, who won 47 games this year and beat Oklahoma State in two midweek games this year already. So, you know, you, you know Oklahoma State saw that regional draw, and they're just like, are, are you serious? Yeah. Are you serious right now? Now, Josh Holiday still needs to go out and, and put a little bit of a better effort out there on the field with his guys. Um, but, you know, I think when you just played, what was it, six games in five days in the Big 12 tournament, and then you have to turn around and face really familiar opponents – four days later in your regional, that's a, that's a tall task for any team. Um, so I, I, I tend to have a little bit of sympathy for Oklahoma state simply because I think they got a rough draw. Um, and I understand that hosts are, you know, there's a lot of regional bias when you're, when you're sending teams certain places just because of travel and, and costs, especially for some of these smaller teams, but uh, just right out of the gate, that was really kind of, that was, that was tough for Oklahoma state. 
Yeah, it, it it's a bad draw. It's a bad <clears throat> it's a bad scene for for the Cowboys. But at the end of the day, man, they just they did not look for. I don't know if TCU broke them, but they they did not look ready for for what came to their house. And um, you know, they didn't they did not mm-hmm. get an easy draw in any way, shape, or form. But you could say that about a lot of teams. Um, That's you true. Got there and went at home and. Much, much like Arkansas, you know, I'm sure they weren't very happy with their with their draw either as the number three mm-hmm. getting one of the probably the hottest team in the country sent to your house. But that's yeah. the way baseball go, right? It's true. As the great Ron Washington said, that's the way baseball go. But back to my first side note of four seeds, you had Penn making their regional final. You had Santa Clara picking up a game. Oral Roberts, obviously advancing. Uh, just really impressive play from the four seeds, pretty much top to bottom. In, in the regional round of the tournament, which was so cool to see um, because that's not really a spot where there's a ton of controversy about the teams that get in. Normally it's yeah. kind of lower league qualifiers that won their tournament and that kind of thing. Uh, shout out to Tulane, <laughs> Tulane, yeah. who I guess qualifies uh, in that regard as well, even though there were 19 and 40 coming into this weekend. Um, just really cool to see those four seats kind of rising up this year. Uh, Wright State giving Indiana State uh, a big challenge uh, in that opening game as well. And we're going to talk a little bit about Indiana state, obviously moving forward, but Santa Clara picks up that win against Arizona moves on to Sunday. And then Sunday, the absolute uh, most ridiculous offensive explosion. Yeah. I think I've seen from a TCU baseball team happened two grand slams from Trey Richardson, a three run home run from Braden Taylor, a two run home run from Trey Richardson, uh, El- Elijah Nunez, who, did not get talked about at all yeah. post game on the broadcast. Anything had a four hit day, scored yeah. three runs, right? A couple doubles. Like when Elijah Nunez goes four for five with two doubles and three runs scored, and he's not even like a footnote. Yeah. That that's how you know TCU was on another level that day because Elijah had an incredible baseball game. You know, just kind of looking through this game, just kind of going through. Carson Bowen for, too. For yeah. We got to throw out Carson Bowen had three hits um, yes. and, a, and a walk in that game with an RBI. I mean, he's another mm-hmm. one that, you know, he's been like, we talked about him last week ad nauseum, but he's been the everyday catcher as a true freshman pretty yep. much for the last, I don't know, 40 something, 50 games. Um, he's, he's gotten out there in some tough situations and some tough weather situations. And not only has he just been an absolute rock behind the plate managing the pitching staff but he's been a damn good hitter at it too um I, I think he's got he may have the team's highest batting he does he's he is he's yes. at 363 for the season to lead the club uh he started 49 out of out of 50 games uh, mm-hmm. that he's played in he's played in 50 out of the 62 games that tcu has had this season um, and he has docked in 46 runs. So he has a chance to eclipse the, the 50 RBI mark too before his freshman campaign is done. And um, for, for a kid that was not expected to have to play this much baseball, uh, he's really just been absolutely clutch in so many ways for the Horn Frogs. Yeah. And here's the funniest thing is he's still only 18, right? <laughs> like a lot Child. of times, a lot of times freshmen get into college and they turn 19 at some point by like February, yeah. March. He's, we're sitting here on June 5th as uh, recording this, and he is still 18 years old. I had the chance to meet his parents on Sunday, talk with them a little bit. They're super proud of him. Great people as well. Um, 
but uh, yeah, this is this is another guy that when you stop, you keep mentioning him as a freshman, it's like, oh, he's really not at this point. Yeah. He's played 50 games yeah. of college baseball. He is the sophomore at this point from a maturity level, probably a junior or a senior, frankly, uh, just with, with what he's been able to do. That batting average, by the way, Melissa, is fourth best in the Big 12. So wow. not just tops on TCU's team, but tops in, near the top in the Big 12 as well, which is a, a pretty impressive feat for him. Yeah, three for four on that Saturday afternoon, four runs scored in RBI. Worked a walk as well. Um, worked a hit by pitch as well, right? Like he just, he got yeah. on base. He got on base five times, uh, which is such an impressive thing. He's been taking incredible at bats pretty much all season. So shout out he's to also, him. He's also nine for 10 <clears throat> on stolen bases as a catcher. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he let, look, there is nothing I love more than seeing guys leg out an infield single or just run hard to first base on a ground ball. Carson Bowen is the epitome of that. And it paid dividends on Monday in the first inning when Nunez gets on base, works a walk to get on base. And then Bowen hits a ground ball, a slow roller back out to the pitcher on like a half swing. And he legs it out. Nunez is safe at second and he legs that out and is safe at first. Um, just no, those, New, li- those Nunez little was the New Year's was the first out of the ball game. It, it started with Bowen. Right. Bowen, Bowen mm-hmm. hustled out. Uh, well, to... New, but New, but so they went to the booth and they reviewed it, and and Elijah was reviewed as safe. So the the ball rolled out towards oh, the pitcher. My bad. And he, for some reason, instead of taking the out at first, threw it to second. They went to the booth and and reviewed that that Nunez was safe uh, and that Bowen was safe as first as well, but. Other way, regardless, legging it out. You'd love to see it. He's got some really good speed. Hopefully they find a way to uh, bulk him up and build him up in a manner that keeps yeah. that speed. Uh, because I mean, he's, he's an incredibly versatile guy for, for, for a catcher, uh, not just for a catcher, but for a baseball player, he's a really versatile guy. He just happens to also catch pretty much every baseball game for TCU at this point. So shout out to him. Uh, another great day as well on Sunday, but TCU wins 20 to five. That's the largest, uh, margin of defeat for Arkansas this year, 15 runs. It's this, uh, at that point, after that win, TCU was beating Arkansas for the season series 38 to uh, 11, I believe, um, which those two games, the 18 to 6 game, first weekend of the series, or first weekend of the year, uh, and the 20 to 5 win on Saturday were the two largest margins of defeat for Arkansas this year. So for a, for a number three national seed for a team that had only lost four games at home coming into this weekend all yeah. year, uh, very impressive Saturday game for TCU. And, you know, everybody's going to talk about the runs, but Melissa, Sam Stoutenborough gave you six innings. Yeah. And he, I mean, he grinded it out at times. 96 pitches, six innings, four earned runs, five strikeouts, no walks, which was very impressive. Um, what did, what did, what did you think of Sam's performance on Saturday? Well, you know, he's a guy who has kind of made the most of his opportunities when he's had them, but he hasn't had a a ton of opportunities. You know, he's, he's made his, how many starts has he made? He's, he's four and oh on the season and he's got four wins Eight starts, and he's only made eight starts. Um, and so he's, he had played there before he played regional there before when he was a member of the Cal staff. Um, and to me, I thought, like you said, it wasn't the prettiest, most dominant pitching performance that you're ever going to see. I mean, he gave up a, a first inning, I think a first pitch home run to kind of open the game. 
but he settled in nicely. He looked like a veteran out there that once again, the moment was not too big for him. And the fact mm-hmm. that he didn't walk anybody to me was, was the biggest thing is that again, when you have an offense like Arkansas, you know, they're going to get some runs. Like they're, they're going to string together a couple, right? Like that just kind of goes with the territory, but what's so impressive is he did not give them anything free. And we saw the trouble you could get into with that yeah. on Monday, which we'll talk about. But uh, being able to shut down rallies, trusting his defense, you know, making big pitches when he needed to. He didn't overpower the the Razorbacks by any stretch of the imagination, but he got he got strikeouts at the right time. And he just hung in at every single at bat Um, and getting through six innings in that situation. Even with the rain delay, you're still really trying to protect your pitching staff in case you have to play two more on Monday. Uh, I thought he was absolutely nails and a great call by Kirk Sarloos to use him in this game. Um, It was maybe not the most conventional of choices. I don't know where else you would have gone in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the number two guy at this point in the rotation, especially with Louis Louis injured. But yeah, yeah, great call. And, you know, I think, too, the biggest part of his outing was the fact that he survived the first weather delay. Yeah. You know, you're, you're getting out there. You're two innings into this game. The, the frogs come out, they put up three more runs in, in the third inning to make it, I think, 11 to one at that point, And then they go to a lightning delay. So you've watched TCU score three runs in the top of the inning, which took about 15, 20 yeah. minutes or so. And then you go into an hour long lightning delay. Yeah. And, you know, Car- uh, Sarlos said after the game that there, there was no question that he was going to go back out because he'd only thrown 29 pitches prior to that. But my question for Sam was, you know, what did you do? in that hour and 20 minutes or so to be able to come back out and pitch as effectively as you did after the delay. Uh, and he, he gave me a really interesting answer. You know, he's like, I, you know, I stretched a little bit, played toss a little bit. Um, he goes, but then, you know, I like unlocked for a minute. He's like, I, he, he said, he called it coming out of his hourglass. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, I, I talked with some guys, I got loose, I stretched, you know, this kind of stuff. And then he's like, with about 15 minutes left in the delay, I locked back in. I went out of the bullpen, threw some pitches, got out on the mound, threw some more warm-up pitches, and was ready to go. And I think that's so cool to have that kind of transparency in that answer just because, you know, you think about the physical aspect of a weather delay on a guy's arm. Like, okay, is he going to get tight? Is he going to need to stretch? You know, is, is, is he going to lose some velo, that kind of stuff? But, you know, he really pointed to, hey, this is what I did mentally to stay ready to go. And that was relaxing for a minute and not being just so locked in and so focused for an hour that you're tired mentally by the time you get back out there on the mound. So I thought that was a really cool kind of insight that he provided after the game. Uh, and he also said something that I thought was really funny and really true, which is like, you know, I gave up, you know, three home runs, four home runs today because, but they were all solo home runs, solo home runs solo. don't kill you. So, yeah. um, you know, he's like, just, you, you can't, you can give up solo home runs. You're not going to, that's not going to kill you in the long run. Uh, you got to keep guys off base. You got to make pitches. You got to let your defense help you. And, uh, you know, so I, I thought Sam had a great performance and then he showed off a little bit of his mental fortitude in post game as well, which is yeah. cool. That's, I mean, that's a huge deal to come back out in that situation um, because you see so many times pitchers, even after a short delay, just have a hard time kind of getting back into a groove or a zone. Um, and, and like you said, that that ability to kind of mentally 
lock out and then lock back in and and finish strong. Uh, it's it shows you the difference between you know like a, a that's why you have a, a grad transfer, right? That's why you have a fifth mm-hmm. year guy back out there um, for that maturity. Also, um, don't want to leave game two without talking about Mason Speaker. Yeah. Um, you know, in those situations where you have these big leads, it can be really hard to manage your pitching staff because you kind of want to go to the the quote unquote end of the rotation with the bullpen. You mm. don't want to use some of those arms that you're wanting to use later, but you also don't want to let a team get momentum, not necessarily for the game that's being played, but for the one that's coming the next day. So for Mason Speaker, Hunter Hodges gave gave TCU an inning, gave up a run on a hit. Um there's reason only he's only played for an inning, um, but for for a speaker to come out and to finish that game, five strikeouts across two innings, scattered three hits, um, but kept Arkansas off the scoreboard and really just kind of shut them down, uh, slammed the door on on any hopes of them making things interesting, but more so of just them kind of getting into a groove before Monday's uh, Monday's affair. I think was a huge deal, and and I, I talked about him a little bit on on Twitter, but. For a kid that came in, you know, alongside his twin brother from All Saints, a local kid, came in as an infielder, played a little bit of catcher, but really just could not work his way into the lineup for TCU and then switched to pitcher ahead of this his, his fourth season. He still has one more of eligibility if he wants to return um, and and throw some pretty important innings in a huge spot for the Frogs and, and have five strikeouts doing so, which is a, a career high for him by by a big margin. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool story. It's pretty cool for Charlos to identify an ability in a kid, um, mm-hmm. for him to to have the humility to to make a position change and just say, "I want to help the team win." Like it's it's a pretty awesome scenario. Yeah, and there, if you if you'll remember too, there was a point early last season when Mason was still technically a, a, in, a infielder that. Um, a game had gotten out of hand for TCU. I can't remember what weekend it was. I haven't looked back into this at all. But TCU was down like eight or nine runs. Um, I think it was on a Sunday afternoon. And Sarlos rolled Mason out there to finish that game, to throw the last two, two and third innings of that game. Uh, When he got asked about it afterwards, he goes, I wanted to remind our pitchers that this isn't as complicated as it can seem <laughs> at times, right? Like you just have to go out there and throw strikes. Like I think, I think that for that outing, I think he threw two innings. I don't think he threw anything off speed. He just threw like 92, 93 mile an hour fastballs. That was it. And he located well. I think there were two shutout innings. He might've given up one run. Um, and, and, you know, that was kind of a message to the rest of the arms on the team. Hey, simplify, simplify yeah. things, keep it simple. Focus on on the task at hand, one pitch at a time, execute all those kind of cliches that are actually so, so incredibly true for pitchers. Um, and he did that then, and, and we saw him do that again on Saturday afternoon, and that was really, really cool. Really, really cool to see from yeah. him. And it set TCU up really well, right? So you've won yeah. two. You've won your first two games of the regional now. You get an automatic berth into the regional final. And while you are there relaxing on Sunday night, watching a baseball game between Santa Clara and Arkansas, Santa Clara and Arkansas are using arms up while they're also staring down the face of a potential doubleheader on Monday. It's the same thing that we saw from TCU in the big 12 tournament, where when you win those first couple of games, that sets you up really, really nicely to get all the way to the tournament final. They did that again in Fayetteville uh, and got to kick back and watch what was a really fun baseball game on Sunday night for, for Santa Clara between Santa Clara and and Arkansas. I listened to this one. I, I drove up there on Sunday morning for the game did post-game stuff, hopped in the car, drove back, uh, and listened to this baseball game as I was driving. But, uh, you know, except for uh, a little bit of a late-game heroic uh, from Arkansas's home run leader, two-run home run to give them a three-run lead, you know, Santa Clara threatened uh, this whole game 
they've got some pitching. They've yeah, got some pitching. Pitch. Yep. And and you know, just a couple bad spots here and there gave up some runs to Arkansas, gave up some long balls, and and ultimately that's what doomed them. But that was a heck of a baseball game on Sunday night. Yeah, and and props to the Broncos for you know making Arkansas work for it too, which certainly played into TCU's favor when the Hogs had to turn around and play their third game in, a, in approximately mm-hmm. what like twenty something hours or eighteen hours or something, and, right. and were faced with the prospect of if they won potentially you know having four first pitches within a twenty four hour period. So mm-hmm. um, and, and Sarlos talked about the Broncos pitching staff coming into that weekend. You know, I don't think he was given lip service when he he said that literally any of those four teams could could win except you know except for maybe Arizona but uh yeah it, it was it was a great weekend of baseball um you know I have to give a ton of credit too to the Arkansas fans um who stuck around through those weather delays who stuck around when their team was getting smoked until the last inning or two um on on Sunday afternoon and came out pretty fired up on Monday for for what turned out to be a really, really good ball game until the later half of it. Uh, this mm-hmm. was a this was a a white knuckler through through most of the early innings for TCU and Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you see, uh, you know, first of all, I thought it was really funny to hear uh, Van Horn, Arkansas's head coach, Sunday night after the game, basically just fully admit to the st- the media. I don't know who's going to pitch tomorrow. Yeah, I don't know who's yeah. available because you've just used. You know, we obviously we did see Hagen Smith on on Monday again, but he gives up eight runs in an inning of work um, right out of the gate against TCU on Sunday, and you're thinking, oh, this was the dude that was supposed to to eat all of the innings of this game, yeah. right? He had struck out 102 batters in 67 innings pitched. He had uh, only allowed 20 earned runs all season going into Sunday afternoon, then he gives up eight in an inning of work. Um, that Belinda's ERA uh, over a point and a half, by the way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so your, your hand is forced at that point as a head coach to make some really hard decisions from a pitching standpoint. So he starts with a guy who pitched on Friday night through 50 pitches. That guy makes an inning and in, what an inning and a third. Then he comes back to Hagen Smith who on like the second or third pitch of his outing gives up, a two-run single that concedes the lead. Hagen did look much, much better on Monday, yeah. though. His off-speed Different stuff was, was biting a lot more. His looked slider like, was yeah, filthy. He, he, he looked much more like the the Hagen Smith that we saw all season. Yeah. Um, pitched really, really well. Struck out Brayden Taylor on some absolute disgusting filth a couple of times. Struck out Eli looking on yeah. a ball that started at his shoulder and then broke down into the top corner of the zone. Um, really, uh, just a, a gutsy, gritty outing from Hagen Smith, who managed, uh, I think, right around like 67, 68 pitches one day after he threw 42. So, so impressive outing for him. But as soon as TCU got through him and they got to Zach Morris in the bullpen, it, it was game on. And at that yeah. point, you know, TCU is down four to two. Um, and you know, Cam Brown struggled with his control, walked a couple guys, hit a couple guys, gave up two big home runs in the fifth inning. He can Brown. He, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's the thing that we've known about cam for a long time is when the control's not there, you know, it, it might be a tougher outing. Um, and the control just wasn't there today. He left some, left some pitches out over the plate and, you know, we, we've known, we have plenty of evidence leading into today that this was the balls were going to fly. Yeah. Uh, and, and so he gave up some big home runs. Um, but at the same time, you know, he, he pitched into the fifth inning for you, which in an elimination game where you don't want to get to game two, um, 
he he did manage to chew up a couple of really good innings there between the one run he allowed in the first inning uh, and, and the three runs he gave up in the fifth. So uh, he he kind of grinded it out, even though he didn't have his best stuff today. Um, and then Ben Abelt came in and just Ooh. absolutely slammed slammed the door. Yeah, he was he was outstanding. You he gave you um, four and two thirds innings, four strikeouts, just one hit allowed, two walks. Um, got a couple double plays. Uh, his that just another guy in the long line of tall, lanky, left-handed pitchers to come through TCU with this weird arm angle that's so hard to pick up. Um, absolutely pitched his brains out today. Got the win to move to three and three on the season. Um, but you're right. This was a nail biter until really the the final inning that or the eighth inning where TCU's up seven to three. Uh, and then there's more home run magic. It was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. Pretty good baseball yeah. game. I mean, this is a, you're looking at a weekend where TCU in three games hit 10 home runs as a team coming into this weekend, they had hit um, 75 total in uh, let's see. And how many games had they played in 62 games so far this year? So mm-hmm. that is, that is a, a, there was a jet stream in Fayetteville. And like you said, those good patient, smart at bats, TC took every advantage of them. And then, you know, one of the other areas that hadn't been super consistent in the middle parts of the season was the bullpen. And you talk about Ben Abel, what he did today. I uh, also like, You've got to give again. This is just another instance where you know Abel was struggling a little bit. He, he I think he'd walked a guy. He was down, you know, two zero. Uh, next count, and Carson Bowen just kind of came up and gave him a little, gave him a little pep talk. Called the infield in. Did the same thing with Cam Brown early in that one. Um, we saw Cam settle down. Uh, just, but the way that this bullpen performed kind of over the course of the weekend from Abelt to Savage to speaker, you didn't have to use a lot of your big, your big guns, um, in this scenario. I, uh, did you just get electrocuted? Yep. What just happened? No, okay. I just spilled my water all over myself. Okay. I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, sorry. It's is an audio medium. I know, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, to get, to get so, uh, to, to be able to let some of those guys who had heavy usage during the big 12 tournament needed to maybe heal some bumps and bruises. Um, you want to keep you know guys like Garrett Wright fresh while also giving him a chance to to kind of get locked in and we saw Wright warm up I think once or twice this weekend so we got a little bit of a bullpen session in but uh, it sets you up just really really well for this coming weekend and a chance to I mean I don't think it'll be breaking news by the time this comes out but a chance to host it Mm -hmm. looks like a super regional on your home field with a spot in Omaha and the College World Series on the line that's a it's a pretty things could not have set up better for Kirk Sarloose, TJ Bruce, Moziel, you know, Garrick Moziel, like that whole coaching staff Mm -hmm. than it did over the last two weeks. You're absolutely right. Before we move fully away from Monday, I do want to make note of two things. I want to first make note because I know I saw, I saw a lot of criticism on Twitter um, about this specifically about why Cam came out for the fifth inning when you know you have Abelt there and what he's capable of doing. I mean, I think so in his four and two thirds innings pitched today, I think that increased that his scoreless inning streak to right around 18 innings pitched. Mm-hmm. He hasn't given up a run in his last 18 innings, which bears out to his last 11 appearances, um, which is just one hell of a streak for him. Um, and, you know, I think it's really easy in hindsight to second guess something like that. Um, you know, you're looking at, at, uh, Cam, I think he was around 57 pitches going into that inning. He had come off of the last two innings where he had just needed 19 pitches to get through those two innings. And yeah. so you're thinking he's kind of in a groove now. Maybe I can get another inning or two out of him. 
on the other side of that, obviously, this is the third time through the order for Arkansas, and yeah. the top of that order is really, really potent. We saw that bear out with those two home runs. Tough, tough decision to make. I don't know that it's right or wrong to have left Cam in at that point, but what I do know is that when when he did go to Ben after those two home runs, Ben absolutely slammed the door, yeah, um, and, and really did uh, what he needed to do. And then on Garrett Wright, you mentioned Garrett Wright. He didn't pitch this weekend. Uh, he's been pitching really, really well for the Frogs as of late, but. You'll notice that there's no coach in TCU's bullpen, hmm. which is a, a departure from previous mm-hmm. years. You know, before he left the staff, Matt Perk was that guy for the last couple of seasons out there in the bullpen. Um, and a lot of teams are kind of moving away from this now. There's, there's, you can do a couple of different things with coaches. You have an extra coach to work with now if, if you're a baseball team, D1 baseball team. Um, but Sarlos made the decision this year to move to having all of his coaches in the dugout. Which means that, you know, when you're hitting, obviously you've got Garrig at uh, first base, you've got John Delora at third base. TJ Bruce is kind of giving all the signals and, and running the show from the dugout there. From a pitching perspective, obviously Kirk is kind of the main guy making those decisions, but Kyle Winkler is on this staff as well. And you'd kind of assume, okay, well, Kyle, former pitcher, helping with the pitching staff, working with we're on that side of the of the team, would probably be the guy in the bullpen, but he's been in the dugout too all year. The guy that's been with the walkie talkie in the dugout this year is Garrett Wright. Anytime that they've got a guy that's up in the bullpen, anytime that they've got try, they have to communicate, right. They've got their walkie talkies to communicate to the bullpen. It's Garrett Wright on the, on the walkie talkie. Wow. So he's the one that's out there getting guys ready. He's the one that's out there making sure they're going through their routine, getting stretched out, getting loose, getting ready when they need to go into the ball game. Uh, and then he's ultimately the one that's communicating with the coaches about, Hey, this guy's ready to rock. All right. Who do you need up? You know? Okay. Well, uh, yeah, he's ready to go. You can, you can get out there now. Um, you know, kind of that leader in the bullpen. So you, you think about Garrett's on field, uh, talents, and now you can add that to the resume as well, wow. where he's been the guy and, and other teams are moving to that too. Arkansas is actually another team that's kind of moved to that model where they've got a senior leader out there running that show. Um, you saw it, you caught it a couple times on Monday, uh, on those breakaways to the bullpen, which they did a lot for Arkansas today. Shout yeah, out. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Garrett writes that guy for TCU and that's a, I don't know. That's just a really cool thing that I've noticed this year. Yeah, that's awesome. It's an awesome opportunity for, for Garrett to kind of, um, attack the mental part of pitching in a different way too. I mean, yeah. I think that you, you probably learn a lot having those conversations with coaches and communicating mm-hmm. and also just, uh, you know, that's, a, there's a lot of, we've talked about this ad nauseum as well. There's a lot of guys that had never pitched a collegiate game or, uh, an NCAA division one collegiate game, you know, coming into this season. And to, so to have, all of those messages being relayed by a guy who's kind of been there, done that, um, that is a, a respected leader and respected voice in that bullpen. That's, that's pretty awesome. So, yeah. yeah. And now, you know, he's going to get to go back out to that bullpen in Lupton a couple more times over yeah. this weekend because TCU has moved on to a super regional. They are placing, uh, playing against Indiana state. Uh, and this is an interesting development for this super regional specifically, because normally, you know, for the for the uninitiated, you have 16 hosts for your regionals. They are seeded one through 16, uh, and one through eight are what are considered national seeds. They're the top eight seeds in the entire tournament. And when they, which they typically do, win their region, they have then earned the right as a national seed to host a super regional. So when a national seed loses, typically it defaults to the one seed in the other region should they win, right? And so that would have been Indiana State. They were the one seed in the Terre Haute region. 
they would have hosted a super regional, but Indiana state commits every year to hosting Indiana special Olympics on their campus, using their baseball field, using a lot of their facilities, requiring a lot of staff to work that event. And that event just happens to be this upcoming weekend. And so Indiana state didn't even submit a bid to host a super regional this year. They wrote that out in a statement on Twitter later on Monday evening saying, Hey, this is why we're not hosting a super regional. This is why, uh, we're going to, our baseball team is going to be on the road. Um, and because they're paired up with Arkansas and because TCU won that region, we get super regional baseball at Lupton this year, pretty unexpectedly, which is pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. Um, and, and before we kind of move on from that conversation, um, I want to give a shout out to our friends at the Lupton Drinking Club yes, who pounced absolutely. on this opportunity um, to turn a, a perceived negative uh, that was, it's really great to be able to say was not a political thing, was not a, you know, an anti-small school, anti-non, you know, traditional power, blah, blah, blah. Um, but but just because of the way the Indiana State's athletic department supports Special Olympics and the, the boys over at the LDC hopped on it and said, hey, let's flood the Special Olympics donation inbox with donations. And TCU fans, um, as of us recording this, you know, on on Monday evening, I think there were well over a hundred people who had already donated um, mm-hmm. and it's going to be really cool for Indiana special Olympics to wake up to an inbox full of uh, TCU n- new TCU fans and supporters. I know just from having been at so many regionals, super regionals in Fort worth that TCU fans will make great hosts um, the, that they will, they will be kind to the Sycamores who I believe this is their first ever super regional um, as if I, if I remember correctly, and I don't know that they'd ever hosted even a regional round before I know they'd made the tournament, um, Indiana state, for those that don't know is, you know, the, the alma mater of Larry Bird. So they've had some high level athletic success in the past, but this is kind of new territory for them. Um, and when we heard, uh, it started kind of getting some rumblings from some people that, that there was a good possibility these games to be played in Fort Worth without knowing the reason why, um, you know, the stadium size for the Sycamores is very small. You know, that that was kind of maybe a reason. There were, there were all kinds of issues. But when we found out why, uh, it makes perfect sense. And I just really commend the Indiana State Athletic Department for finding themselves in this unexpected position and still holding true to their commitment to the Special Olympics and those athletes. Um, I know what a special weekend that's going to mm-hmm. be for them. So I yeah. hope that we are awesome to them in every way except on the field. Yeah, fully, fully agree. You know, this is so just a little bit more info. This is the 51st year that they'll have hosted this Special Olympics mm-hmm. event, which is super cool. And this is the first time. So they have advanced out of the first round of the tournament before, but the last time they did was 1986. So it's okay. been, I can do the math on my hands. Cause I was also born that year, about 36 uh, years yeah, about since 36 Indiana years. state has advanced to this, uh, this round of the tournament, 37 years. All right. Before, Anyways. before we jump into talking about the Sycamores, uh, JB, we have a, a new sponsor on the podcast that we are super excited to bring you guys yes. information. This is a network-wide sponsor um, for the Republic of Football. And I'm sure most of you guys listening to this are already well aware of Home Field Apparel. I know that Jamie and myself have both put a significant amount of our hard-earned dollars into the coffers of the mm-hmm. great good brand, which is based in Indiana, but that we still love um, for the time being because they are more Indiana Hoosier supporters, I think, than Indiana Sycamore. Um, I am rocking a Frogball USA shirt. Um, this is the Ringer Chi off of their recent TCU refresh. Um, they have a massive TCU collection right now of 
I mean, frankly, the best hoodie, one of the, the two best hoodies, I'm not going to tell you the other one because we may have some some workings with them later, but mm, uh, yeah. one of my two very favorite hoodies um, is is a home field hoodie. Uh, all the great throwback logos. Uh, JB and I have both worn multiple home field shirts as we've been podcasting here over the last couple of months and you will yes. see us wear many, many more. Um, they are a great brand, a local brand, um, a good company, great customer service, super, super easy to work with. And if you order a TCU or any of your favorite collegiate gear from Homefield using the code FROGS15, you'll get 15% off of your first order with Homefield. Um, and I believe it's good for 10% off of uh, any additional orders as well. Yes. So um, great quality, great comfort um, and just really cool looking shirts you're going to be wanting to wear some of those uh, this weekend in Fort Worth and maybe down the line in Omaha as well I think you can get some home field apparel at the PC bookstore too look here's the thing about how good the good brand actually is is they did a refresh for South Carolina this week and they've got this old school 1969 Gamecock on it and it just says in this really cool script font Carolina is feeling peachy and I'm going to use my frogs 15 code on that. I've got a ton of the, the TCU collection already. And when they do a, a, another refresh for TCU, I'll obviously be on that, but that South Carolina shirt is legit. Probably top three. 69 and Gamecocks. Huh? All right. Anyway, well, maybe I'm quarter, not going to order quarter that zip, Yeah. The quarter zip, the, uh, the joggers I'm wearing some home field. I just don't know. Too. I just don't yeah. understand why you're trying to talk me out of ordering home field in the middle of a home field spot, but Anywho, uh, I don't. Yeah. You, you take that as a negative. That to me was a. Was, have you not watched <laughs> oh, me on fair, Twitter this weekend? I've been yeah. a, a you've disaster. Been Meli- on you've been Melissa after dark for yeah. pretty much all of the daytime for the last yeah. week or so. It's it's. I've been sick. So, <laughs> but but anywho, frogs fifteen is the code. Homefield is the storefront on the internet. www.homefield.com. Uh, that code will give you fifteen percent off. And like Melissa said, 10% off of every order after the first one. So make sure you go to Homefield, use that code, buy all of the fun merch that they've got and know that somewhere down the line, they're probably going to have more TCU stuff than what's currently available too, which is pretty dope. Dope indeed. On Melissa, to the Sycamores. Yes, on to the Indiana State Sycamores. This is uh, an interesting, interesting baseball team for a couple mm-hmm. of different reasons. First of all, when the hosts were announced... A lot of folks didn't think that Indiana State should have been a host for one statistical reason, and that's because in the regular season, they went 2-9 and nine against top 50 RPI teams this year. So it was kind of a knock on their schedule that they didn't play a ton of top 50 teams, and then also when they did play them, they lost most of the time. So, you know, all right, well, how good is this team really? But in reality, Indiana State baseball was pretty dang good yeah. all year they went 45 and 15 or they are currently 45 and 15 uh they went 24 and 3 in conference uh which uh they won the regular season and then they went ahead and just won the missouri valley conference tournament as well um knocking out evansville twice to clinch that double conference championship season uh really good pitching Great hitting, uh, a very good offensive team, uh, and when they did end up getting to host, um, they went three and zero. You know, they took care of a right state team that I know a couple national analysts had as like a sleeper pick to come out of this region, and then they beat my pick to win this region twice in Iowa. They beat them seven to four, and then they beat them eleven to eight. You know, some high offensive games. They didn't score any less than six runs, dating all the way back 
They haven't scored less than six runs dating all the way back to May 13th in the, the middle of their series against uh, Murray State. So bad on you for picking a Big Ten team to win a to win a regional, though. Here was my you. here was my logic. Here's my reasoning, because this is obviously before we knew that TCU would have hosted had Indiana State won this region. I have TCU going to Omaha in my Curry Cup bracket this year. Um, I had them winning this region. As I said last week on the podcast, I didn't think it was that difficult of a region. TC went three and zero. Ha! I was right, and um, I thought Iowa would beat what I anticipated to be a relatively weak Indiana State team, uh, a region that I didn't think was as strong. Like I said, you know, going into that region, Indiana State was only two and nine against top fifty teams all year. Well, now they're four and nine against top fifty teams this year because they beat Iowa twice. Um, and neither of those games were really as close as the three-run score uh, would relay to you. So shout out to Indiana State for that, um, for, for, for putting together a nice little 3-0 weekend uh, to get to this point. They've got um, some really good bats. Some of the guys to kind of keep an eye on. Adam Pottinger uh, is their leading hitter this year. He's got 11 home runs. Not their home run leader, but he's got an OPS of 999. Gets on base a ton. Uh, hits for power really well, uh, eight doubles, 11 home runs, a triple this year. Um, he gets hit a lot. He, he This is a team that is really patient at the plate. They work a lot of walks. They are not uh, afraid to to take a pitch in the arm or the leg. They're not going to jump out of the way of, of balls inside. Uh, they've been hit by 125 pitches this year. They've worked 230 walks this year. So this is a team that's very patient. They take incredibly good at bats. This is actually going to be a little bit of a different challenge for TCU's pitchers, I think, than what they saw from Arizona and Arkansas Mm -hmm. this weekend, where those two teams are more swing first, make good contact on that first or second fastball, uh, and really swing for power. This is a team that's that's much more patient at the plate, and they're going to test some of these TCU arms that maybe lose control at times uh, to really throw strikes and throw strikes consistently. So some really good bats. On the other side of things, on the mound. Ooh, they're pitching. Their pitching is is really stout, uh, yeah. led by a couple guys, Connor Fenlong and, and Miller uh, Lane Miller, um, two, two of the guys in their rotation that have just been absolutely lights out all year. Connor Fenlong is 10-2 and two on the season. Lane Miller is 7-2. and and uh, zero actually hasn't lost a game this year. Um, their staff them, ERA is under four. Their yeah, their staff, staff, their staff ERA. ERA is under four. This, this <laughs> is a really good group of pitchers. They don't necessarily strike out a ton of guys. Uh, they're not afraid to pitch to contact, but they also don't walk a lot of guys either. So yeah. you, you, I just said they they walk the batters for Indiana State have earned what two hundred and thirty something walks this year. The pitchers have only allowed one hundred and eighty six walks. Yeah this year right they've only allowed 63 home runs as a team so they don't give up a lot of a lot of home runs which in a hitters park like lepton might not really be uh anything out of the uh, the ordinary for them anyways but when you've got a team like tcu who's really hitting the ball well right now and hitting for a little bit of power that's something to to think about so this is an indiana state team that should not be overlooked that should not be underrated um, because they are uh, an incredibly good baseball program. They've, they've collected a lot of really good talent, a lot of maturity on this roster top to bottom, both in the batting lineup and on the mound. 
Yeah, I, I think that, you know, you almost wonder if it's a bit of a disadvantage for TCU to to go to Lupton with the way that their offense has been playing when you compare what it's like hitting at Lupton versus what it's like hitting in Fayetteville with, on that jet stream and in Globe mm-hmm. Life um, over the last couple of weeks. But yeah, I mean, you you got to figure that that Indiana State is going to have a little bit of an extra chip on their shoulder. They're kind of the nobody believes we should be here. And regardless of the reasons, they are going to feel a little bit dropped of not getting to, ho- to, to play on their home field. Um, when they make it to a regional round. So this is a team that's playing really good good baseball in all three phases of the game. Uh, they're not going to give anything up. They're not going to be intimidated by that environment mm-hmm. at TCU. I expect Lupton to be absolutely electric across yeah. the, the three games um, without a question. But I also, um, I, I don't anticipate that the Indiana State is a pretty veteran group that's, that's led by some really solid pitching that they won't be ready to the challenge. So I, I think at this point, you, you feel really good if, if you're a TCU or a TCU fan, but I I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect, um, you know, for the frogs to come in and just kind of roll over the Sycamores. I, I think you're going to see some good battles out there. Yeah, you know, this is a team, like you said, they've got an, a team ERA under four. They don't hit a ton of home runs, right? Their leader is Mike Sears. He's got 19 on the year. He's he's a masher. He, he's going to hit the ball really hard. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, they're just incredibly good at getting on base, advancing bases. Uh, they hit a ton of doubles. Um, this is a team that can kind of nickel and dime you if you're not careful. And, and like we've seen with TCU pitching at times this year, not really lately, um, once things start to kind of gather momentum and start to roll downhill, sometimes it's, it becomes a, a really big challenge to stop. Sure. On the other side of that, though, I don't know that Indiana State's pitching staff has seen an offense as potent as TCU's, yeah. right? I mean, this is a team that just put up 44 runs in three games in a regional. They're averaging close to 10 runs a game since May 1st. This is an offense that is going to present a different challenge to this Iowa State pitching staff, which is going to make for what I think will be a very, very good uh, super regional matchup. Yeah, I, I just I think it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be uh, just just a really entertaining series for sure. And you just hope that TCU can kind of keep this offensive onslaught alive. Um, they they are just so red hot. We've seen teams get hot and kind of you know kind of peter out like Arizona did. But then you also when you look at, at the fact that TCU is doing it both from the mound and at the plate, you've got to feel pretty good with the defense too. We haven't even had to talk about the defense because they haven't had to make a ton of like high mm-hmm. leverage plays, but when they've been asked to, they they've really delivered. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think TCU has got the guys to, to be able to put the runs on the board to win this one, but you know, we may not see some 20 to five results. We may get some more of those kind of five to three affairs and, and look a little bit more like what we're used to seeing with TCU baseball. Yeah, you know, I mean, part of it's the park, right? Lupton's naturally more of a, a pitcher's park, except for uh, the occasional weird night where the wind's blowing really hard out to, to right yeah. center. And then you can you can maybe find a jet stream and get a couple balls out of the park. But uh, this is going to be a fun, really uh, gritty, to use a word you used in the group text earlier, Melissa, gritty mm-hmm. series between the Horn Frogs and the Sycamores. Um, looking forward to to this baseball yeah, baseball weekend uh, out in Lupton. Yeah, it's a surprise, right, Frog fans? So, really, just enjoy it, take advantage of it, get out to the ballpark, uh, create an excellent atmosphere. Um, you know, a lot of these. Ki- no, here's a fun fact, right? None of these players have experienced a super regional. Mm. Wow, right? None of these baseball players for TCU have experienced a super regional. Go give them the best freaking atmosphere they could possibly yeah. ever experience this weekend it's free baseball from a from a tcu home perspective yeah right? we get we get free baseball this weekend at lupton stadium show up show out show these freshmen why 
they came to TCU, show TJ Bruce why he left the head coaching gig to get here and be the associate head coach at TCU. Okay. Support let's, these frogs. Let's get back to Omaha. Let's do it's it. It's been a while. First it's time. Nice. It would be the first time in six years. It's the first time in six years that they've made a, a super regional. Why not make it the first time in six years they've gotten more dog to piles. Omaha as well? What I did notice Frog today. Pile. They did not frog pile. In no, Arkansas. they didn't. They didn't. And it was I, a very formal handshake line. Yeah, I kind of loved it. Very, very jobs not finished yet. Yeah, kind of handshake for line. For a program that, you know, six weeks ago, nobody thought was going to, you know, wouldn't get out of the first round of the Big 12 tournament. Now, now they look very much like they expect mm-hmm. to be hosting a super this weekend. The this most excitement we saw would, was when after the alma mater, it looked like that's when they were told that they were going home to play because there was a, a great uh, enthusiastic eruption from that group. And then they settled right back into mm-hmm. onto the next. So. All right, let's get on the plan. Let's get home and let's, let's yeah. get back to work, which has kind of been their mantra all season long, getting hey, back to work. Speaking of back to work, how about starting some work? Cause we had a couple of freshmen Ooh. basketball players move on to campus today and that is an exciting thing for the future of TC basketball, but we they're also looking ahead to 2024 as they get ready for this this upcoming season. And they had a couple of visitors in town as well for that. Yeah, absolutely. Jace Posey and Isaiah Manning, the 2023 signing class, moved into campus today, getting settled in, figuring out campus. You know, it's easy for Isaiah Manning, right? Yeah. Because his dad's a professor at TCU. Jace yeah. Posey's also getting pretty accustomed to being on campus. He's been here more often than not over the last couple of years, taking a lot of unofficial, unofficial visits, just coming up and hanging out. Um, but it's good to have them formally on campus as we start to get into the summer workouts that some of these guys are going to go through. Like you mentioned, though, there were two 2024 kids that were on campus this weekend. Um, they were here Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. First one is Micah Robinson. He's a four-star kid, according to 24-7 Sports. He's from uh, Oak Hill Academy in, in Virginia, but he's really from Dallas. He's from Frisco. Um, and, and so he's a local kid, four-star power forward, standing at 6'6", 200 pounds, already with a really good offer list. He's got offers from Arizona State, from Creighton, from Kansas, Kansas State, Ole Miss, AM, Texas Tech, Virginia Tech. Uh, a couple smaller schools as well, like SMU and Sam Houston State have also offered him. Uh, but he was on campus this weekend for his official visit. Uh, his parents were here as well. Um, it, so that's a guy to keep an eye on uh, as far as TCU's recruiting is concerned. I know that he's a major, major target for them. Kansas is also going after him really hard. So that's going to be a battle to watch. Another guy that's going to be, or that was on campus this weekend is Nick Cody, uh, another power forward. He's 6'8", 180 right now. Uh, another four-star kid, according to 24-7 Sports. He's the number four recruit in the state of Texas, according to 247, which is pretty cool. Also holding a good host of offers. He's already up to 16 offers. TCU is one of them, along with Arizona State, Cal, Houston, LSU, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, UT, uh, a couple other schools as well. So, you know, offer lists are really impressive, but this is kind of what... Uh, oh, and he's from Newman-Smith in Garland. I don't think I said that. So two local kids... Um, I want to draw lines to a couple different things. First of all, this is the level of, of kid that you can expect TCU to recruit these days. These high four-star kids, these elite as these elite prospects from the state of Texas, because this is the reputation that Jamie Dixon has created for this program Mm -hmm. is that these high four-star kids can come in and, and contribute, you know, look at Mike miles, look at Micah PV, look at all of these other kids that have come through um, that have had success here. Uh, this is this is where the brand is right now for TCU hoops. The second line that I want to draw is the fact that both of these kids are from DFW. It's because when 
Micah or when Mike Miles made his announcement that he was declaring for the NBA draft, that he was foregoing his last year of eligibility, Jamie Dixon got up at the podium and spent a couple minutes talking about the impact that Mike had on the program, not just from the fact that he was an elite point guard in the country for three years, but also for the fact that he's a DFW kid who chose to stay home, as Mike put it in his commitment video a couple of years ago, quote unquote, put on for my city, right? Like there's a lot of city pride uh, for Mike Miles and the fact that he was able to come from Highland Hills and do what he did for TCU and with TCU uh, for quote unquote, his hometown, that gives this coaching staff kind of a recruiting chip for other kids in the DFW area. You don't have to go to Kansas. You don't have to go to Texas. You don't have to go to North Carolina or Duke or Kentucky to be on a national level. You can stay home where your family can come see you play uh, and you can win a lot of basketball games and make the tournament and make it make a run in the tournament. So uh, Mike Miles legacy is bearing out even this weekend, just from the two guys that got on campus. I'm really interested to see what happens with Nick Cody's recruiting in the next couple of weeks. Um, They both, I I had a chance to talk to them on Friday. They both told me that they're hoping to have a decision made um, by, you know, sometime September, October ish. They're going to release a top five or top six sometime in July and then kind of just let the recruiting happen from there. Um, I don't have a crystal ball, but if I did, I'd put one in for Nick Cody right now. Mm -hmm. I think he's really, really in love with TCU. Um, And I think if you get Nick Cody, you probably get Michael Robinson. They're really close. TCU is in great shape for both of these guys currently. And don't be shocked if they take both these guys and then that's the whole recruiting class. Yeah basketball recruiting is shifting so much because of the transfer portal more so than football, more so than baseball and some of these other larger scale sports where you've got bigger rosters, you know, TC only took two guys in the 2023 class. They've taken five guys in the portal. They might take one more. They've still got an open scholarship, right? Um, so this is kind of the way of basketball recruiting these days. You take a couple really elite high school kids and then you replace and reload with, with veteran guys out of the portal, that seems to be the method that Jamie Dixon is going forward with. And now we're kind of in the second full cycle of that taking place. You know, you had the first big transfer portal hit when Damian Ball got here, when Emmanuel Miller, Jacoby Coles, Micah Peavy, uh, Xavier Cork, all these kids got here. Shahade Wells is part of that as well. And now you've got the second wave of, of transfers coming in along with two potentially really elite prospects, two four-star high school kids um, kind of that they're, they're targeting right now. And you this, get to do is, that. This, is, this is really cool. Yeah. And you get to do that while you develop, um, you know, Isaiah Manning and Jace Posey, a couple of guys mm-hmm. who hopefully, you know, will, will allow to allow themselves to maybe take a back seat in year one um, and, and prepare themselves to, to play a big role in year two. We know that, you know, the, what's the downside of the portal, right? It's really hard mm-hmm. to keep freshmen if they aren't going to play right away. We saw that with PJ Haggerty this, this past year. Um, and so that's the balancing act that, that coaches have to find a way to strike is how do you, develop a couple of guys that can be long-term foundational veteran pieces and add in, you know, pieces around them that complement them, but also elevate your program. Um, I, I think that, you know, you've got in Posey and, and Manning, two guys that, that really love TCU that chose to be a part of this program and are going to be understanding of their expectation and their roles going forward. It's going to be mm-hmm. really fun to watch them um, develop over the course of, of this first season on campus and hopefully become big contributors for, for the Horned Frogs down the line. Yeah, you know, and this is this is one of the conversations that the coaching staff is having right now because they do have this open scholarship spot. They are looking at a couple different guards in the transfer portal that they could bring in to kind of round out their guards unit. 
But at the same time, the conversation they're having is, well, if we don't take a 13th scholarship player, that probably opens up more time for Jace Posey specifically to get some more minutes this year and maybe not have to redshirt him, maybe get him some more minutes, get him some playing time because you've got to find this balance now, right? If you're taking these really small classes and you're filling with a transfer portal, well, then the you might be just kind of inadvertently lean towards, hey, we brought these veteran players in. They're going to have priority. They're going to get the bulk of the minutes. Well, okay, what happened with P.J. Haggerty this year when they redshirted him? He hit the portal, right? He was gone immediately. He's at Tulsa now. And so do you want to get into this same kind of struggle every year where you've got these really good freshmen that are on the roster, but they're not seeing any minutes. They're a little bit disgruntled. They're going to go play somewhere else. That's the kind of balance now that that coaching staffs all across the country are having to figure out. I don't think that that means anything bad for Jace Posey moving forward. That's not me making any kind of assumptions or anything. That's just, that's the conversation that TCU's coaching staff and, and support staff are having right now is how do we find a way to, as Sonny Dykes said so elegantly a couple of months ago, recruit the roster that they currently have. Yeah. Because that's such a huge part of this now to keep guys that you want from entering the portal while you're going out and filling the roster for the portal in the high school levels as well. Yeah. Well, speaking of filling rosters, you were at TCU this past weekend as well for some potential future Horn Frogs um, as they held the DFW Showcase Camp for the football program. Uh, this camps, you know, that were started a few years ago on campus, but Sunny Dykes has been a huge believer in them um, and really went all out for them while at SMU and has carried that energy to his time in Fort Worth. Uh, they get a lot of guys on campus. A lot of guys you're never going to recruit, but a lot of guys that you might not otherwise have gotten to come for, you know, to, to spend some time there um, in, in a really positive way. Uh, what was, I mean, it's, I don't want to break down players because there's mm-hmm. hundreds of them, but but what do you think the general impression of of guys coming into this campus, coming off of PC's national championship run, but also the national championship results? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, talking to one guy that's, that's close to the football program, the result of the national championship doesn't seem to have been a barrier in recruiting at all, right? Like you get to say on the recruiting trail, every single player that you meet, Hey, we're one of se- we're the only team in Texas and we're one of seven teams in the country. That's won a college football playoff game. Yeah. We made it to the national championship last year. If you come to TCU, that's what you can expect. We're recruiting the caliber of player to get us back there and to win that final game this time around. And if you get on campus, that's going to be the goal, right? So there's really not a lot around, oh, the, well, yeah, we got the shit kicked out of us 60, 65 to 7. That really sucked. But, hey, at least we got to play it. No, 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 no. This is, we got there. We want to go back. Come help us do that, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's kind of the pitch that kids are getting these days. As far as this weekend is concerned, it's such a cool weekend because you have over the course of two days roughly three thousand kids come through these six camping sessions essentially there are three on saturday three on sunday and you roll through about 500 per session and coaches from all across the country show up there were over a hundred schools represented from the juco level all the way up to d1 right and and they're all kind of scouting these players. The other cool thing about this is that it's not invitation based at all. It's registration based and Mm. it's free. So you've got a lot of just, there's a large spectrum of talent from the 2024 class all the way down to 2027 kids from all four of those classes. There were kids represented very wide talent disparity as well, which means that every school that comes and works as a part of this showcase 
has kids that they can recruit at their level of football, which I think is super cool. That does mean that, you know, a lot of these guys probably won't end up with a TCU offer because they're not going to give out 3,000 yeah. 3, offers over the next four years anyways, right? But it does give kids an opportunity to show off some skills to schools that may otherwise not know anything about them, right? I, I, I know there were so many of these kids over the weekend, especially these 24 late bloomers, these 25 kids that are starting to kind of burst on the scene, 26 kids as well, that got offers from a Texas state, from an Air Force, from an army, you know, that, that those kids maybe would not have ever been on these schools radar had they not been at this camp this weekend. So super cool opportunity for a lot of these kids to get on campus, get in front of college coaches and kind of show what they can do. This is also not the only way that TCU runs camps and recruits, right? They're doing a lot of invitation only camps over the course of the next few weeks where they're handpicking 20, 25 kids that are going to come in and work out specifically for TCU. No other coaches are going to be there, right? That's kind of the, the style where they're getting some of these higher star kids in to, to work out and, and kind of show them around the facilities, that kind of thing. Um, but this is really just kind of a bulk opportunity to get as many kids in the building as you possibly can. Uh, and TCU did extend a couple of offers this weekend as well to some of these younger kids that were there. Two guys that I got to talk to on Saturday, uh, Brock Boyd, he's a wide receiver out of South Lake Carroll for the 2026 class. His older brother is Brady Boyd. He goes to Texas Tech right now. Brock earned a scholarship after his camp session um, from the TCU offensive staff because of what he was doing to some of these 2024, 2025 <laughs> cornerbacks in one-on-one drills. I'm not kidding. He was cooking people. He was, he had a great weekend. He came into the weekend with maybe two, three offers. Um, I think maybe, yeah, three or four offers after camp. I'm sure he walked away with a dozen, <laughs> right? Like he, this is one of those kids who absolutely showed out in this setting uh, and really kind of made a name for himself, separated himself, uh, you know, from not only his older brother's legacy, but just from the rest of the kids in the 26 class that were there. So Brock Boyd is definitely a name to keep an eye on as the 2026 class gets closer and closer. Obviously those kids are uh, just going into their sophomore year. So there's a little bit of time there. Um, and then another kid is a 27 kid. He's, he's going to be a freshman this fall. His name's Peyton Houston. He's out of Northern Louisiana. He's out of Shreveport. 20, 27 quarterback prospect who huh, an eighth grader. Yeah. He's an, uh, an outgoing <laughs> be a eighth freshman. Grader. Yeah. He'll be a freshman. Yeah. Football, but so he's an he, but he's already got uh, Texas tech, Ole Miss, Texas A&M offers like this kid is. And he, uh, I think he was, he was a part of the first session on Saturday, the 10 AM session. He might've been the best quarterback in that entire session. And they had wow. kids all the way up through the 2024 class there. Like he was absolutely slinging it um i did not know that he was a class of 27 kid until he turned around they all have these bibs on it's a letter that represents their session so a b or c depending on the session and then the first number of their bib is their graduating year so four and then whatever numbers after that this kid turned around he had a a seven and i was like there's no shot this kid's, <laughs> all, this kid's already almost my height i'm six foot three Jeez. he's already almost my height he he looked effortless throwing the football he was dropping dimes in one-on-one he was making receiver he made brock boyd look a, really good a couple of times so that you know you start to project out into the future oh my gosh yeah. could, Pey- could peyton houston and brock boyd be the next big quarterback wide receiver combo in tc in tcu history down the road um he, he and I talked for a little bit. He is hearing mostly from Tech, A&M, and Ole Miss right now. 
by the time I, when I talked to him, I knew that TC was going to offer him after the session. Cause you're not allowed to offer during sessions. Um, but, uh, he spoke pretty highly of TCU and then obviously the session ended um, and uh, he got an offer a little while later after that. So that was, that was pretty cool. Um, wow. Pretty cool to see a kid who's like you said, just finished eighth grade. It, it's already, great, yeah. already, already racking up the offers. TCU offer. Now, when you say Ole Miss, that makes me nervous just based on recent history, but still. Well, sure. Pretty, but I mean, here's the thing though. Here's the thing though. Those, the, TCU does this really smart thing where they recruit Northern Louisiana and Shreveport yeah. pretty much exactly like they recruit East Texas. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, they're just, they're such similar areas anyways. Um, and, you know, TCU historically has recruited Northern Louisiana and East Texas incredibly, incredibly well. Some of the, some of the quote unquote more hidden talent has come out of that region for TCU and, and, you know, Peyton Houston is not going to be, uh, a hidden gem by any stretch of the imagination yeah. if he's already got this offer list as a, as a incoming freshman, but um, he, he could be another in a long line of, of kids to come to TCU from that region. Yeah. It'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. And Louisiana pipeline has been pretty good, pretty good for hard frog football. It, it so. truly has. It truly has. Well, we've gone, we've gone a little bit longer on this episode, Melissa. So we're going to, uh, I think it might be time to wrap this up. I, I do have one thing to say before we leave is that I will be, uh, I do have some kind of cool news happening on Tuesday when you're listening to this. Um, it has nothing to do with this podcast in, in particular. Um, so we will be continuing this podcast. Don't worry about that or anything like that. But I do have some cool news. Uh, if you guys want to keep an eye out on Twitter tomorrow, that'll be pretty cool. Tomorrow being Tuesday. So, but this has been the Frogs Insider Podcast. Melissa, good episode. Yeah, As always, long episode. Thanks again to, to our Republic of Football sponsor, Home Field yes. Apparel, Network Wide, Frogs 15 to, to get your, your discount. Uh, get yourself some, some new gear to wear this weekend as TCU baseball improbably hope, hosts a super regional round at mm-hmm. Lupton Stadium against the Indiana State Sycamores with a trip to Omaha on the line. Yes. Lupton Stadium against the Indiana State Sycamores is a mouthful and you nailed it. It is. And I nailed it. And now I... Time to go to bed. All right. Everybody, goodbye. Go Frogs.